Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place today. God, I thank you that we're going to see you do it again. The Lord, that you have never failed us, nor will you ever fail us. That Lord, that every person that's standing in here today has a testimony because of a test that they've been through. Lord, I praise you. I thank you for your word that's here this morning that's going to go forth. I ask, ask, Lord, that we would open up our ears and our hearts, that our hearts might be fertile soil to receive your word this morning, that we, we might grow in the image and likeness of you. Lord, you never shun away or shy away from darkness, but instead you speak truth and deliver light into the darkness. And so, Lord, that's our job. That's our responsibility, that in this dark world we might go out and be light in a dark world. And we thank you for equipping us to do that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. And um, so today we're going we're gonna, to uh, pick up, and I'm not sure if we're going to uh, continue the series after this week, um, but we are going to get through verse 18. A lot of people, when we're talking through the spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, a lot of people will stop at verse 17, and rightly so, if you're just reading it, um, it makes sense that you stop at verse 17. I mean, he goes through all of the armor of a Roman soldier, and then you get to verse 18, and he kind of makes this shift in, his, in what he's saying. However, let's, let's think about this just for a minute. You're writing, Paul is writing this while he's in Rome. So Paul's writing the book of Ephesians while he's on house arrest. Okay. Um, so, he, but he doesn't have an ankle bracelet. Okay. <laughs> There's no tracking. So what they do with you when you're on a house arrest is they assign you a Roman soldier or a few Roman soldiers to guard your house and to guard you. And so you're under the eye and under the watch of somebody all the time. Okay. So there's actually within, almost within reach at all times, a Roman soldier watching you while you're on house arrest. And so this is Paul. And he's writing this letter, the Ephesian letter, to the church in Ephesus. And he looks over and he sees the Roman soldier. And so what's he do? Well, he begins to break down helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, right? Uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. He looks over at the Roman soldier and he goes, hey, spiritually, this is what it's like, right? And he begins to break that down. And so for his readers, he, he kind of, he, he shares all this because his readers see Roman soldiers like on a daily basis walking through the streets. Does this make sense? Be much like you've seen a police officer, okay? But instead of a police officer, they had Roman soldiers, and they were just patrolling the streets. So Paul doesn't have to keep going with helmet, breastplate, sword, shoes, belt. He doesn't have to. They've already got the image. So he, makes a tr he, he doesn't really transition to anything new in verse 18 when he writes this. He says in verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer, with, uh, prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And we can leave that on the screen just for a moment. Notice the word and, He's, right? He says and. In verse 17, we can back this up in verse 17. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then in verse 18, he makes and. 
So he's connecting his comments. He's connecting these verses. Actually, in the original letter, there's no, there's no chapter or verse numbers, right? It's just all one letter. We break it down for reference purposes. But he says, and pray. He connects prayer. There's, one, there's really only one piece. As he's looking at this Roman soldier and he's, he's outlining all this, there's one piece that he hasn't mentioned. And if you study the Roman soldier, you, you know this. There's one piece of equipment he hasn't mentioned. And he doesn't need to mention it to his readers because they know it. It's the lance. It's a lance. It's a spear. Every Roman soldier was assigned a sword at his hip, a shield, and a lance. You had your own personal lance. He didn't need to mention the lance because the image was already in their mind. If I started going through a police officer and started mentioning all their equipment, and suddenly I didn't mention something, but I said, and boom, this is like this, you, I wouldn't have to mention the equipment because it's already in your mind. This is what Paul's doing in verse 18. Prayer is a lance. Prayer is the lance. Now, I've heard some pastors say, well, prayer is like your communication device to communicate to God. And every military has a communication device. Okay, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. That's not what Paul's doing. He's been going through the pieces of armor. And so, in some ways, that's true, but it's not exactly accurate. He says in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. And that's where we're going to spend our focus today is all kinds of prayer. There isn't just one prayer. There isn't just, I'm praying, and that's it. Okay, and we're going to break them down. There's actually six different types of prayers that you have prayed. It's, it's, it's nice that you know what they are, and I'm going to tell you what they are. The important thing is, is that you understand that you've probably operated in all six at one point or another in your life. Okay, but before we get there, he says all kinds of prayers. Uh, Xenophon, the Greek historian, writes that there the Roman army had various types of lances. And um, in fact, it's pretty common whether it's Persia, Babylon, Greek, all of these empires had different lances, different types of lances. The biggest lance um, actually was carried by the Babylonian army. It was 20, it was, um, I'm sorry, it was, it was about a 24 foot lance. Could you imagine carrying around this lance with a giant spear that's 24 feet tall. I mean, how many, like, how do you even, how do you even throw that? Right? How do you even throw that? I don't know. It's Babylonian, not Roman. We're talking about Romans. But just FYI, in the history of lances, the Babylonians had the biggest. So now, like, if you're at trivia night at B-dubs or something and that happens to come up, you can win. But you're happy? Everybody's, no, you're not. Okay. So, the Romans carried two lances, typically. A pilot, it, it called a a pylum, carried a pylum. There were two types. There was a thick one and a thin one. And both lances had barbs on the end so that when it went in, it wasn't coming out, much like a fish hook. It goes in, it's not coming out unless it rips stuff out with it. Some of you give me that ooh, gross face. <laughs> all right. This all matters, though, when it comes to prayer. We're going we're to tie all this in together. And it was about... Uh, the metal tip was about two feet, and then the handle was about four feet. So you had about six-foot lance. It was thin. It was lightweight. 
When they threw it and it went in, it snapped and broke. So you couldn't actually, if you wanted to pull it out, you'd actually have to reach in and grab and pull it out. Okay, it was a vicious, vicious weapon. It was always used, though, from a distance. The sword was used up close in hand-to-hand combat. The lance was used from a distance. The understanding when Paul now says prayer, shooting from a distance, right? Does this make sense? This is a lance. It shoots at a distance. And then when it impacts, whether it impacts the softest part of your body or it impacts something else, when it hits, it snaps and breaks. And it's designed to do that intentionally. Why? So the enemy can't grab it and use it against you. Prayer is the lance for your armor. It is designed to strike from a distance and it cannot be used against you. The enemy cannot say, oh, how can I turn this prayer against them? He can't. It's designed to strike from a distance. How do we strike from a distance? You say, well, I can pray for the missionary around the world. Okay, that's mileage or kilometers. That's distance. But time is also distance, right? Don't you tell people when you're giving them direction, no, it's about 30 minutes down the road that way. How many of you are like marker people? Like you turn left at at the gas station there on the left, and then you turn to the right, and right, because as as soon as somebody goes, you go north for two miles, you turn right for, and you're like, whoa, slow down, Magellan. We're not doing that, right? Okay, time is distance. We measure distance in time, right? Light years. You can pray for your kid's spouse. You can pray for your grandkids. Even though your child might only be six months, you can still pray for their spouse. It's, you hit from a distance. Prayer is something that goes into the future. You can pray for the next president. You can pray for your next Congress representative. You can pray for your next state rep. You can pray into the future and affect the future. You can change. This is the lance of prayer. And Paul says, this is a weapon. Prayer is an offensive weapon in our arsenal. I've heard so many people say, and hopefully through this series, we've debunked this idea that the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon in our arsenal. Prayer is an offensive weapon. And when you use the Word of God, when you pray the Word of God... Your prayer, your lance has more effect and more impact than if you're just praying your will or your desire. You know, like if you're praying into the future and say, Lord, I'd like my next car to be a Mercedes. Just, I don't don't see that in here. I'm just going to throw that out there, right? But is it God's desire that you and all your house would be saved? Yes. Right? Is it God's desire that nations and countries would bow before him? Yes. And so when you begin to pray the word of God and throw that lance of prayer into the future, you have power. And then when you get to that point, you have to pull out your sword and go to -to hand-to-hand combat. That's how this works. And so Paul was envisioning a Christian with all types of prayer available to them. The Romans' lance, they had that lance was about six feet tall. The tip was two feet long with barbs on the end um, and a four-foot handle. They also later came out, and I forget what the middle thing was, but they would put a ball of metal right where 
uh, right where the head of that lance and the handle would meet, they put a ball there so that it would be better balanced. Um, they had thicker ones if they were going, say, after an animal. If they were going after, if you know anything about ancient history, you know that the Greeks discovered these things called elephants in India. When they marched into India, they discovered these things called elephants, and they brought them back, and they conquered countries with elephants on elephant, riding elephants. And, and so the Romans said, well, we got to defeat elephants now, so we have to figure out how we defeat humans riding elephants. And so they figured out these lances to bring down elephants. And so all of these different forms of lances that they had to defeat, right? Like you think it's, it's impressive when a warrior's on horseback. Try a bunch of Greeks coming at you on elephant back, right? <laughs> it takes on a whole different perspective. And so, what are you laughing at, Jimmy? <laughs> Just picturing, yeah, right? And so, there are all of these different lances, and Paul says with all types of prayer, and they're picturing in their mind all of these different lances. So what are various types of prayer in Scripture? I'm going to give you six of them. We're going to go break them down a little bit. And you may not have known what they are, but I promise you, you've used them. So next time you pray, you can be like, aha, this is what I'm doing. All right, so the first type of prayer is consecration. Consecration. This is the Greek word prosuke. It is by far the most type of, uh, it is by far used the most in the New Testament. Prosuke, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-E. For those of you taking notes, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-E, prosuke. It actually is a compound Greek word. Pros means face-to-face. So this idea of this particular prayer means you are face-to-face with God and you are on your knees. You're literally on your knees, okay? It's used 127 times in the New Testament, and it literally describes an exchange. It's an exchange. God, this for that. You're, you're almost in some ways negotiating with God, but not really, because you don't really have anything to bring to God that he would even, right? I mean, let's face it. But prosuka means to come to God, you consecrate God, I will consecrate this thing to you if you will do this. If you will, and this is by far the most common type of prayer. Why? Because probably it's the most common type of prayer that we use. God, if you will only do this, then I will fill in the blank. How many times have we prayed that? Right? We pray that, oh God, if you will just do this, then I will, boom. Right? Somebody in ICU. I mean, you name it. We do this all the time. And I think that's probably why it's human nature. We want to go to God and say, okay, this for that. In fact, we find a prime example of that in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11, 19, and 20, where Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11, 19, and 20, where Hannah, the mother of Samuel, goes and says, I'm not having any kids, God, and so here's the deal. I promise you, if you give me one child, I will give that child back to you. If you allow me to have one child, I will take that child back to the temple and give it to the priest Eli and let Eli raise my child in the house of God when I am done nursing. And that's exactly what she did. That's exactly what she did. That's consecration. I will consecrate Samuel and give Samuel back to you if you would just give me a child. And so God gives her a child and does that. You'll find this word, you, like I said, it's used 127 times in the New Testament. You almost can't miss it. 
Um, a couple examples are this verse right here, Ephesians 6, 18, um, and John 1, 1. The second type of prayer is a petition. This is the Greek word desis, D-E-E-S-I-S, desis. It is the third most used. It's used actually, uh, desis is used 40 times in the New Testament. And it describes a need or a want. It's actually used here again in this verse, right? God, I, I need this or I want this. Because how many of us as parents want to give good things to our kids, right? We want our kids to have what they want. As, as much as it is in, within our ability to give it to them, we want them to have it, right? So if you can afford it for your child, you want them to have it. That's what this word means. It says going to God saying, God, I'd really like to have. So going back to that Mercedes joke, right? That's kind of where this fits. You know, it, some of us, some of us, though, here's the thing that like James says, now you got to keep everything in context of scripture because James says you don't have what you ask because what you ask for, you want to spend it on yourself. A lot of times our prayers are all about, can I get what I want? Give me, give me this so I can look good, so I can look elevated, right? So I can, so I can look better. I can, I can show, look, look what I'm driving or look where I'm living now. And James says, the reason you're asking this stuff, asking for this stuff, and the reason your prayers aren't getting answers because you want it out of your own pride. And then James says, you covet and you lust after it, and then you want to brag about it, and God's going, yeah, no, you're not having that. Not if you want to. But, but this word to petition describes something you need or something you want. And it's found here in Ephesians 6, 18. Again, it's used, it's used um, like I said, 40 different times. It's okay to go to God and say, God, I'd really like to have. Let me give you an example. Um, we bought our first house, and we were living there. And, of course, you know, once you get your first house, then you start realizing, well, I'd like to have this. I'd like to have that. And why don't I get this? And so when we sold our first house and we were moving to Lapel, I, I was like, man, I, w I really wanted two things. Now, you can laugh, and it's very childish, and it's okay if you laugh because it's very childish on my part. But I said, man, God, in my next house, I'd really like to have a koi pond with, like, a little waterfall, but I don't want to spend the time to put that in because that's just that's, – my koi pond would be all, like, janky sideways, and <laughs> it would be halfway done. And I'd really, then I'd also – I'd really like to have, like, a little Japanese maple out front. So we're looking for a house in Lapel. I know that I'm going to take a massive income hit from being a senior project manager at Blue Cross Blue Shield to almost nothing. Basically, I'm an adjunct professor of business for Vincennes University. That's it. So major pay cut uh, as I try to get the church going. And our realtor says, I found this house in Lapel, and he sent it to me. And I said, yeah, no, that's like going to be out of the price range. There ain't no way we're going to touch that. And he said, well, it's bank-owned. I said, yeah, but we're not going to touch it. <laughs> so I did what a good husband should do, and I sent it to Lynn, and I said, I just want to show you this. Do not fall in love with it. There's no way we can afford this, but it's in lapel and whatever. 
So she goes, well, we should at least just go look at it. I said, no, I'm not going to fall in love with something and then have to back out of it. It's just, no, I don't know. Well, she won. And so we went and we looked at it. And we walk in the, we walk in the front door, standing there with our realtor. And Lynn's just like going, starting going through the house like, look, oh, this is wonderful. And it's bank owned, right? So it's got some damage to it. It's got, it's just got some issues. Um, and my realtor said, I got some good news. And I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. We're not buying this house. Like, it's, you ever just write something off? And God goes, yeah, you don't fully understand me, do you? <laughs> so we're standing in the front door, and he goes, well, they fat-fingered the price when they sent it to me, so they have to honor it. He goes, it's down 40% from what it's actually supposed to be. I was like, huh? He goes, so actually they're asking this. And it was like just under our cap of what we could afford. I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, no. He goes, they're going to honor it for 24 hours, and then they got to put it back to where it was because the person keying it in did it wrong. I was like, uh... All right, well, Lynn's somewhere in here. <laughs> Let me go talk to her. I'm like, yeah, some of you are like shaking your head like, oh, come on. I'm like, yeah. It was like it was in Brookside. It was in Brookside. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So long story short, we got the house. We had to live with my in-laws in Pendleton for three months because do you remember back in the day when banks were just rubber stamping default loans and that whole thing went down in like 2008 or 2009? That was one of those houses. And so we signed, started signing papers and they came back and they said, yeah, this was one of those houses that was rubber stamped and they're not sure they had all the paperwork that it was actually defaulted on. What? See, got our hopes up. Anyway, God came through. We got the house. You know what the house had? Japanese maple out front and a koi pond in the back within our ballpark. You see, I said, God, we're moving here to start this church. We can't afford Jack. We're going to be on a teacher's salary and an adjunct professor's salary. This, ain't gonna, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to work. And I made a petition. But if you make it work, I'd like to have a koi pond and a Japanese maple. Japanese maple in the front and a koi pond in the back by the patio. As, am I the only weirdo in here where God's like, yeah, I can do that for you. Right? I mean, it was like Miracle on 34th Street. You pull up and there's the house with the cane next to the, next to the chimney. Some of you get that reference. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Right? That's, this is petition. This is desis. This is, God, if it's your will, yes. And by the way, this would be nice. What? I'm not, what am I going to brag around? Hey, I got a koi pond in the back. And people are going to be like, so? Right? I got a Japanese maple. Freak. Right? I mean, I was asking for stuff that I wasn't really wanting to spend on myself. Like, it wasn't, but God was like, yeah, I can do that for you. I can do that. And that, this is the petition. And it's 40 times in the New Testament. It's okay to ask for things for yourself. Just make sure your motives are right. Are, does that make sense? Right? God, give me the... I know I need the cake, but I'd like to have the icing. 
All right, so then God cuts you off the corner piece with the big rose flower on the corner with the icing. That's how, that's what this prayer is. The third form of prayer is an authoritative prayer. Now, authoritative prayer, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this because you all are going to struggle with this because we have inherently just botched this up. And this is the second most used type of prayer in the New Testament. It appears 80 times in the New Testament. It is itero, A-I-T-E-R-O, itero, and it literally means, are you ready for this? It means to ask or demand what is yours by right. It means to go to God and, de- and ask firmly or demand what is yours by right. God, your word says this. I'm expecting this. Your word says this. I'm asking that you do this. I'm asking you stand by your word. You have that right. You have that ability to go to God, not in a mean, jerky, or cocky way, but to say, listen, your Bible says this. I'm expecting this. Now, he'll decide when you get it. He'll decide the timing on things. But we have the right as children of God to go to dad and say, dad, you said this. Does that sound familiar to any dads in here? Oh, yeah, I did say that. You're right. All right. I got to get up. (laughs) Right? You're like, why? Because your kids remember. If you don't think your kids remember, then you're not remembering. And maybe they're right. Did you follow that? (laughs) This word is the second most used term for prayer in the New Testament. Wow. That we have the right and the ability. God, you said that if I, and we'll see this in a minute in Romans 8, 28, that if I was doing and working with you, that you would work all things out for the good. As I work with you and you work with me, literally is what that says in the Greek. If I work with you and you work with me and we're in tandem, you will work it all out for good. He's not promising that he will work everything out for good just because. He's saying, you work in tandem with me because I'm God. I'll work in tandem with you because I love you. And we'll work back and forth and I'll work this whole thing out. God, you said you would do that. I need you to do that. You said you would. That is this prayer. This is an authoritative prayer that you know what's yours by right as a child of God, and you request it and you ask it. It's exactly what that means. It's it's a picture of someone who understands what is theirs, and they ask for it. The problem is most of us don't know what's ours in Scripture because we don't know Scripture. And because we don't know Scripture, we don't know what to pray, and we don't know what to ask for. Think about that. How much are you missing out on in life because you don't know the Bible well enough to begin to go to God and say, your Bible says this, I need you to show up. We're, we're, we're always taught, now I lay me down to sleep. We, we're, we're taught like this passive prayer. Like our prayer life is just like, well, God, if it's your will. That's like not even, that's not even biblical, especially with this word, Right? That we have that right and that ability. You'll find that prayer in John. Uh, like I said, you'll find it everywhere. It's hard to miss in the New Testament. John 5, 14 and 15 uses that word. In fact, let's look at John 14, 7, which is a verse where this word is used. It says, if you really know me, 
you will know my father as well. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And that's not the right verse. That's my bad. That's what's in my notes. All right. Um, let's uh, try Romans. What, what's Romans 820? Those guys are, huh? Oh, put, put John 5, 14 and 15 up there. Is that up there? Was that up there? Oh, okay. All right. Well, guys, anywho. Anywho. All right. Look at, um, who's got John? Okay, we're going to totally improv. You ready? What do you got? You guys are awesome. Look at you bailing out your pastor. Okay. Um, nope, that's not it either. Okay, I've just totally given you the wrong one. All right, my bad. It's on me. Um, what's John eight twenty eight say? No, not John eight twenty eight. Romans eight twenty eight. This is horrible right now, by the way. I hope you, hope you are thoroughly enjoying this. This is, thank you, finally. Somebody's being Christian and someone showing me some grace. Um, yeah, that's not it either. Okay, anyway. All right, so just understand that this word, of, this praying by authority and asking what is yours, thanks, man. What's yours by right um, is, is the second most used prayer in the New Testament. Why don't we just move on? The fourth type is thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving. This is the Greek word eucharistia, E-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-I-A. And it means, this type of thanksgiving prayer means a good feeling or a disposition about something. You just feel good, right? Like that prayer before the thanksgiving, like you are just thankful. God, thank you for the beautiful day today. Thank you for the ground drying up so I can get my crops in. Thank you for, you know, thank you for that pay raise. Thank you for allowing my wife and I to work out this situation and come to terms on things. This is an attitude of gratitude type prayer. Ephesians 1.6. See, now y'all don't trust any of my Bible references. <laughs> Ephesians 1.6, uh, Colossians 1.3, 2 Thessalonians 1.3. The fifth type of prayer is supplication. And this word is actually um, only used five times in the New Testament. And supplication is very interesting. It means to fall into a situation with someone or fall into a circumstance with someone um, in other words, you just happened into a conversation. Yeah, has anybody just ever happened into a conversation with somebody? Just like, yes, right? You show up, hey, how you doing? Good, I'm doing good. And you just kind of start this conversation. This would be, this simply would be, hey, God, good morning. It's that simple. It's that quick. It's that easy. Man, God, thank you for allowing me to get that last bit of toothpaste out of that uh, toothpaste. Thanks, God. Okay, that was more gratitude. But Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you just say hi to God. This is it. You just fall into a conversation with God, and you're just talking away. You just, like he's sitting right next to you, because he is. 
How many of you have ever just had conversations with God? Just like, man, yeah, it just, doesn't it feel good? You don't, you're not, you don't want anything. You're not asking for anything. You're not saying, hey, this is mine by right. I really need you to do this and show up. You're just having a conversation with God. That's supplication. The sixth one is intercession. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this Greek word. It's like 12 letters long. But it's intercession. And it really means to stand in behalf of somebody else. To to stand in the gap for somebody else. This word is actually only used one time in the New Testament. The The Greek word for intercession and intercessory prayer is only used one time in the New Testament. So what does this look like? This looks like when you have a family member who doesn't know Christ and you're praying for them to come to know Christ. You have a family member who is struggling with something and you're praying for them. You're standing in the gap for them. You're interceding for them. Now here's the crazy part. It's used in Romans, it's used in Romans in relation to the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8.26, this is the only time it's used. And it says, in the same way, the Spirit, capital S is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You get a call. Someone's been in an accident. And it's life-threatening. And you don't know how to pray. Holy Spirit, I need help. Because my brain is, has capacity, is at capacity. My brain has a limit. And you don't even know what... You just start groaning. You start making noises and utterances like, Oh, I, I got... Like, you don't even know what to pray. And Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, the Holy Spirit steps in and takes over and begins to pray on your behalf. And he intercedes and stands in the gap. The only time the Greek word for intercession is used is in reference to the Holy Spirit doing it, not you. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't. We certainly can. But this is the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever just... You had to pray, and you just didn't have words. This is what Paul's referencing. And he says, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to say to the Father on your behalf. Because his words are infinite. He can, he can speak and understand things that you will never be able to speak or never be able to comprehend, and your brain is limited. Our brain is so finite and so limited compared to the, inf- the, how infinite God is that if you don't know what to pray, you can just begin to cry out with groans and words. I remember growing up, and I remember sometimes people would just go up to the altar and begin to cry and groan and wail, and they just were praying and the Holy Spirit was just, I know the Holy Spirit was just moving them, but they didn't know how to pray. True intercession of the Holy Spirit happens when we're at a loss for words. When you don't know what to pray, you're just crying for that person. You're just wailing for that individual. You're, you've, you've just, maybe, you've, maybe you feel like you've emotionally 
just lost it. Right? Paul says it's okay because the Holy Spirit understands and he takes those feelings that you can't express with words. You can only express with groans and moans and cries. And he takes those and he turns those into words and talk, begins to talk to the Father on your behalf. How comforting is that? He says, hey, God, to them it sounds like mumbo jumbo and it just sounds like a bunch of stuff. But here's what's really, here's what their heart is saying. Here's what they're feeling and their emotions are expressing. And it literally means that he, fall, he falls into or feels what you feel in that moment. The Holy Spirit feels what you feel. And then he takes that feeling that you can't express and he puts it into words to convey it to God. This is, this is what this word means. He senses what you sense and then goes out to God on your behalf. In this type of prayer, it's only when we recognize our human weakness and we begin to open up, open up our hearts to God for our family members, for our friends, that the intercessory move of the Holy Spirit begins to happen. And until we come to a point where we admit our need for his work in our life, the Holy Spirit's limited. As long as you do what you know to do and pray and use the words that you know, you can get there, you can pray. But at some point, your love for them is going to exceed your vocabulary. And when your love exceeds your vocabulary, the Holy Spirit steps in and says, here's what they're saying. But as long as you're using your vocabulary, the Holy Spirit is limited. But when we take the door off the hinges and begin to groan with utterances that don't make sense, the Holy Spirit steps in and goes, gotcha, I'll take it from here. So that loved one you've been praying for, that person that just doesn't seem to be coming around, that marriage that just doesn't seem to be coming together, that job that just doesn't seem to be coming through, those things that just aren't happening, maybe it's time to pull your vocabulary out. And it's time just to go to God on your knees with tears and moans and wails and let the Holy Spirit take over where your mind stops. Let's stand up this morning. I'm going to ask Josh to come up here and I'll be up here as well. If you're, if you're here this morning and you need for us to agree with you in prayer and anything, I want to pray with you as Jimmy leads out in a few, <clears throat> a few choruses. We're going to be up here to pray with you. Jimmy.
Just like Lazarus Out of that grave Our God rewrites history Jesus changed everything When you pour your spirit out Just like Silas Singing with Paul Praise can break down prison walls Jesus, you can have it all When you pour your spirit out and ears up here. Okay, sit down. Go ahead and sit down for a second. Okay, it's John 15, 7. <laughs> Not 14, 7, 15, 7. They should really separate the keys on the keyboard further apart. Here's what John 15, 7 says in regards to the authoritative prayer of asking what's yours by right. He says... <clears throat> If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So, literally, the Greek translation here, full Greek translation, and I'm going to let you go, promise, because I know you like you got something in the crock pot or something, or you got to meet somebody somewhere, is this. Rick Renner translates it this way in his book. He says, if you permanently and habitually lodge, dwell, abide, and remain continually in me, and if my words permanently and habitually lodge, dwell, and remain continually in you, you will be able to strongly ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow. You may, if you abide and live in me, and you and I abide and live in you, you may strongly ask what you want and it'll be yours. All right, go have an awesome week, go rock and roll. (laughs) 